Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody, and welcome into today's episode of the Top Cut Yu-Gi-Oh! Podcast. My name is Sonny. I am, of course, here with my co-host. Yo, it's me, Caleb, as always. And we are so happy to have you here today, and we are also happy to have our special guest. We have, of course, Gary from GGYGO. What is going on, dude? How's it going, friend? I hope that you're having a great day. I'm happy to be here. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for the listeners that may not know exactly who you are or where your content comes from. How's it going, everyone? My name is GGYGO, or better known as Gary. I've been in the game now for about 12 years, and I spend most of my time on YouTube just explaining the game to a higher caliber. I have a lot of different videos about where to hand trap, how to read a format, how to really be able to sideboard, and how to deck build. Um, Things like this are really able to increase the overall gameplay of a lot of people at different events that i've seen especially in our current game state i feel like there's tons of players that are just getting in but they're also learning pretty quick um so i like to be serving myself as a resource for those who are newer and those who are intermediate who do need the extra push of help to know like oh this deck just came out where do i hand trap this or this is a deck that i've never seen before hopefully it's in one of your videos so i usually try to cover just about every deck that i can think of um, I spend a lot of my time, just every single time that a new deck comes out, whether it be a TCG exclusive or it comes on the OCG, to really be able to test it and know where the choke points are so that you don't have to spend all the time. And I can just go ahead and tell you, um, which is usually really convenient because I understand there's a lot of people out there who work a lot or they're just really busy and having those extra resources really do help in the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, now that introductions are out of the way, I am going to take just a moment to go ahead and thank all of our patrons. I I seem to forget this a lot and I don't want to. So a huge thank you to Austin Johnson, Kane Martin, Marshawn Jones, Master of Isa, Mocha, Mr. Herbie, Scuzz Daddy, Witchcraft Remain 2022, AD, Aaron Gardner, Anthony Lila, Damian Zink, Dank Nugs, Dino DNA, Mountain Man, Myth Oceanus, Owen Alvarado, Pig, Rudolph, Sneaky Links, Jeremy Drysdale, 
MBT's hard leg, Ray Powell and Sunny Sweet. Thank you all so much for your continued support. If you would like to support us beyond Patreon or separately, you can always use our TCG Player affiliate link in the description down below. All you do is click it. It redirects you to TCG Player's homepage. And from there on, anything you shop for and add into your cart will automatically help us out at no extra cost to you. So again, you can find our patron down below and you can find our TCG Player affiliate link down below. And of course, you can always find our Twitter, our Discord, and anything like that also down in the description. So... For those, before we get too much farther, that want to find your content, Gary, the best place to do that would be, would you say Twitch or YouTube? Uh, definitely YouTube. That's where I keep everything um, just for specific needings of help, I would say, um, just because there's so many different aspects of the game that people want to improve on. So when it comes to certain videos that help you find uh, certain routes, because there's certain things for like striker, um, dragon link, or if you want like plunder patrol, um, there's different areas that you can go to on the channel for that. Um, whereas on Twitch, once I hit 10,000, I'll be enabling VODs, but right now I don't have VODs. Um, but that's usually the best place if you have a question that you really want answered. Um, I'm really good about just answering my chat and making sure that everyone is up to date on the information that they want to hear. Um, and usually if there's ever a point in stream where it's like a slower period and we're just kind of playing on like DB rated or not doing anything like too crazy like a tournament, um, I will be taking like deck requests. And if you want to see a deck being played and how the techs are and what the general combos are, I'll typically bust something out and just start playing that instead. Um, just so the whole stream gets a little experience behind what a different deck could be doing versus one that we typically see. Gotcha. So be sure to check that out for anybody listening. And now I want to get a little bit more into the interview aspect. And we're going to start with a question that I asked off recording, but I want to make sure that the audience gets a vibe for it too. So we interview a lot of different people on the podcast. We interview some high level players and we interview some well-known creators. And I'd like to get your opinion on whether you're more of a player first or more of a creator first. So I love my content and I love everything that I do on YouTube and Twitch. It's amazing the type of people that I meet. And I really feel like the reason that my content is so good to a lot of people out there because of going for the uh, hand trap value or the sideboarding or the deck building, it's because I really do put myself as a player first. And that's because even if you go to like your local store, I feel like a lot more people would have a better time in a store if it was like player run versus if it was like just run by like a corporation. And that's because players really understand other players and they really understand what they're looking for in the game. And that's what I try to aim my content toward because I know that when I was starting off in the game, I had no idea what I was doing. And if you asked me where to hand trap against a certain deck, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. Um, and just trying to find different lines of where to stop decks and their choke points, that kind of information that you could just have at the drop of a dime on one of my YouTube videos too, is one of those things where I really love giving back to the, uh, the community. That's one thing where I'll always want to do that. And the only way I'm able to get that information is by being a player first. Yeah, for sure. That makes like a ton of sense. So, I mean, in the interest of making the most competitive content possible, you obviously have to be as competitive as possible within the game. Um, so that brings us a little bit into your experience with the game, 
Uh, if you don't mind, could you give us just a little bit of background about maybe how you got into the game when you started playing, when you got really competitive and, you know, how has that gone since you've gotten and taken the game more seriously? So I actually have a wholesome story uh, when I got into the game. So, you know, like when you're a kid and you buy like the little packs of cards and then you make like a slifer deck or what have you. You don't really know what you're doing, but you're just kind of putting cards together and hoping that like you beat your friends. Um, sure. When I really started saying like, you know, I kind of want to like actually play like I want to go to like a card shop and I want to like sit down against other people and I want to see where I can go with this. I went into my first card shop ever and I remember I walked in the front door and I was talking to some guy behind the counter and you know he I didn't really know who he was and we're just chatting he's like well do you like the game and I said yeah you know I, I enjoy it but you know I was like I don't know like nine or ten at the time and I was like I don't really have the ability to just like buy cards I'm just kind of coming in here you know checking it out and just seeing like what it's like to be in a card shop you know, it's like my only plan of the day was to just kind of walk in there and just watch people play uh, and just kind of like see how it was done. And I remember the guy, he goes, well, I'm the owner of this store. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, like I, that that's pretty neat. I'm glad that you have this uh, this store. And he goes, come here real fast. And so I remember I like walked up to the counter and he like reaches in this drawer and he just grabs a stack of cards and he hands it to me. And he's like, this is for you. And I was like, for me, I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? And he goes, just enjoy the game. And then he reaches back down and grabs a pack of sleeves and he hands it to me as well. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, I was like, thank you. And I remember I like I flipped it over and it was Silent Magician, Horus, uh, Arm Dragon. It was just like a level mod deck. And it was the craziest thing to me because again i didn't know what the big game really was i didn't know about like crazy combos and how to otk the only thing i was worried about was wow i remember these cards from the show these cards are amazing and uh i remember that day i sat down and i got waxed by mermail and it was just like <laughs> i had a great time the whole time but man megalo hurt and uh i was just out. oh my goodness yeah i was just trying to level mod my cards man like that's all i wanted to do and uh, I remember I went back there like every week and I just kept enjoying what I was doing. And uh, it got to a point where, you know, I was like, all right, so clearly this isn't working anymore. And uh, I took it upon myself to be like, OK, I need to find a better way to win. And so I remember I took out my first couple cards out of the deck. And this is where I started understanding, like, kind of what the meta was and kind of like understanding what I needed to do to be successful. So I remember I was like picking up battle traps and I was adding those in. And then I like got a win and it felt insane. <laughs> and then from there, I was like, wow, that really did change something about the deck. Like having these extra cards in there, even though they don't really work, uh, if I'm going second right away, they were still really impactful. Cause I think back then we were using like fiendish chain or what have you. And, um, I remember like fast forward like a year or so and I was picking up chain burn because it was the only deck that I could afford as a tradition. Yeah. So I, I picked it up and I remember round one of the first regional that I went to the person who sold me the deck was my round one. <laughs> and wow. then they just didn't play into lava golem because they knew I was playing it. And so I was like, well, this is unfortunate. 
and uh, I remember sitting there and I was like, okay, so maybe this deck isn't the wave because I was playing against a lot of people and I wasn't doing that well. And it was usually because like they knew how to play around it. And that's what got me thinking again. And I was like, so how do you get to a point where you just know what your opponent's playing and know how to play around it? And that's where my creative juices started really flowing and being like, okay, so there's strategy in this game. There's ways to really be able to read your opponent. And so then I went from that deck and I remember I picked up Yosenju. And so this was obviously just a little bit further in the future. And uh, I had Yosenju and I had triple vanities in my deck and I was just like, okay, so this has got to be the way, like if we're going to play like any kind of stun deck, like chain burn, you got to do it the right way and play some kind of floodgate to be able to stop your opponent. And that's when I learned what floodgates were. And so then I remember I went to my first regional and I started that regional off 7-0. And so that was super Yay! cool. And uh, it was, it was awesome. the second regional. Yeah. So I, you know, I started like progressively just understanding the game. And uh, I remember the first time that I won my first locals, like I was just playing like weird decks, right? Just things that no one was really playing. And uh, I went to my first local uh, where I've actually done really well. Um, not like my first local, but and uh, I played Kaiju Gradle and this was in Bosch format. And so uh, what, what is Bosch format? We weren't in the game at that time. So Bosch, Bosch was Pepe. Um, oh, this is when Lord, Kaiju okay. just came out. So, Kaijus weren't a thing before this, so they, they were brand new. Gotcha. And so, this is the first time I ever won a local, though, was I went in with Kaiju Gradle. And uh, I remember going in there and just saying, like, okay, like, all these monsters tag out and, like, farm girl and, like, this is the new meta. And then I learned what the damage stuff was in a Gradle, and I was like, this is going to be pretty fun. So I remember like setting a Gradle and they would attack into it and then it would die and then damage up, steal their monster. Um, I ended up just winning that because not only was that really cool, but being able to Kaiju their ships uh, was super fun as well. So it was, a, it was a very good time to just kind of understand the game from going from Armed Dragon to doing pretty well in a regional to winning a local. Um, and then I remember I found Striker. And this is a deck that I'm most notably known to play. And for the first like five months, I thought Striker was terrible. I didn't want to play the deck. I thought it was really bad. And my friend group just kept saying, you know, like play it, play the deck. It's really fun. It's really good. You know, engages a crazy card. And I was like, I just don't understand how like these 1500 beaters and like engage get you there because like your main monster zone gets blocked so you get like kaijued and then it's kind of over and like a lot of people were having kaijus in their deck or like a lot of hand traps and, like i just don't understand how this deck works and then i sat down with one of my good friends and he like really showed me how to play the deck and yeah. i remember i like started playing it more and more and it just kind of took off because i realized if you can play striker at a really solid level, you can pick up and play any deck. So for me, like striker, it just it changed the game for me completely and just made me really want to be competitive. Yeah, I get that for sure. Um, when you <clears throat> got to that 
decision of wanting to be more competitive within the game what was kind of the progression like from you know a more casual locals type player or even attending just one or two regionals every now and then to becoming a much more competitive player where you're going to YCSs and things of that sort and even potentially doing well at these events I think the transition really comes at a point where you're not necessarily mad that you're losing and you're not necessarily like at a point where you don't think that you can do well. You kind of just sit there and start realizing more aspects of the game and you really decide to yourself if you want to pick that up and really understand it better. Uh, so in a sense, when I picked up Striker and I realized after I started winning a lot more with it, because the more you get in tune, um, the more you realize cards like Anchor and Engage and having a toolbox is just one of the best things that you can have in your arsenal, especially going first or second. And it doesn't matter if you lose the die roll or not. And so for me, I was playing these really off decks where... I consider them more like cheese wins. Like if you win, it's just because like you're playing the rogue deck that no one knows what it does. Um, so for me, I always saw like these bigger name players just doing so well at tournaments. And they're playing like all these big combo decks or they're playing like the more mid-rangey like striker type decks. And uh, it made me really want to start learning from them. And I used to just sit all night, like every night, just watching YouTube videos of like different people playing a deck or different people doing well at tournaments or I'd watch deck profiles and listen to their reasoning behind their card choices, not necessarily watching for the deck itself. And uh, it really did spark a fire in me to be like, okay, you know, if they're saying this card is good for this reason, um, I wonder if it would be good in this other deck. And then I started to challenge myself where if I was watching a deck profile, I would pause it when they show a card and then I'd be like, okay, this is probably why they're playing this card because of this other card in the meta. And then if they said it, then I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm learning. Like I'm understanding the meta. If they didn't, I'd just kind of take a note of that and be like, okay, there's this other thing this is good against. And then just kind of everything's kind of like a tree branch in my mind when I'm thinking about Yu-Gi-Oh! Because you start with like a basic idea, right? Which is like the trunk of the tree. And then you kind of sprout off into other ways because you have like Ash Blossom. Let's say this is like a new tree. And then you go to the left and you're like, oh, it's good against this deck. And then you learn that it's good against another deck and you just add on to that. And then you're thinking about even in modern day, you go now where we use things like that for like Hulk. And you're like, oh, it's another tuner. So like if you are in a bad situation, you can normal summon this and make, like go into Hulk. So you start realizing like different lines for different cards and like why they're good in applications. And that's really one of the best parts of the deck, uh, the whole like, game itself definitely definitely yeah that's i mean that that's far better than like how we started uh i don't know if you heard us talk about this but we started playing kitchen table went straight into a regional uh yeah with kitchen table decks it was yeah, not good post this was after black wings but before plant synchro really kicked off yeah yeah like black wings got their first hit but everyone was still on black wings yeah, it was a different time. I think that was actually before you even got into the game. Yeah. So. Um, and like, like I went in with my dragon deck, and the one win I got was because I successfully tribute summoned Montage Dragon. A different time. A different time. Yeah, using like two using two blue eyes and a tyrant dragon, and then I dragon mirrored into blue eyes ultimate. <laughs> 
a different time. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yeah. Like, like at that point, I like, like me then compared to now, we're like two completely different people. Yeah. Yeah, so, I love playing Goat too, and that's just a format that I like to play because I never get to play it when it's actually like a thing. Yeah, that's part of the reason that I like Go format. I, I like playing Synchro format because we were so casual at the time that right when we first got into the game, playing, a, trying to play a little bit more competitively on like you know middle school budget, um, that was kind of what was really starting to pick up steam and popularity. God. So. Yeah, I I literally got the dealt the, got the deck built. Got to one tournament with this with plant full on plant synchro. The very ne the very next next weekend, they released the ban list that uh that murdered it that murdered plant synchro. Right. See, that's so unfortunate. There, see, with that too, I've only ever been like really hurt by the ban list one time. And I remember there is this one person at locals that no matter what I did, I could not beat them. Like I tried so many different decks and I played against them so many different times. And just no matter what I did, I couldn't do it. And I remember I built this Dynamis list and uh, it had like all like the really crazy Draco cards like uh, Draco face off and whatnot. And uh, it was really cool. And it actually just put up a pretty decent board. And I remember I beat him, and then the next day, the ban list just slaughtered my deck, and it was just unfortunate. Oh, that is... But, but, the thing is, at least out of that, you come out of the experience of, I can definitely do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, deck building for me, like, that's one of the key moments in deck building for me that I was just like, I know how to do this, and this feels really rewarding. For sure. So... I want to go a little bit deeper into the aspects of gameplay that we really struggle as growing players to key in on. And the things that we, you know, they're macro concepts and not everybody really focuses on them because they're so focused on things like individual deck building and individual tech choices and things like that that they don't really understand why they're making these choices so a good example is some people right now would tell you for example we just did uh the last podcast question today we did was uh the best hand traps in the current format and a lot of people said lancia which is true lancia is great right now but to a certain point and it, you have to wonder if a lot of these people are saying lancia is like the best hand trap in the format right now if it really is and whether it is or isn't if they realize why they're saying that are they saying it because other people are saying it and they're saying it back or are they saying that because they're looking at the meta evaluating it and making that decision based on the meta so <clears throat> I guess in essence, what the question here is, is when you look at these things like deciding what is and is not the best hand trap in the current format, where do you kind of go about finding that answer? So to start things off with Lancia, I actually completely disagree. I really don't like Lancia this format at all. 
Um, this is something that I've talked to quite a few people about. And so when it comes to Lancia, this format itself is a double hand trap format. Would you agree? Uh, base, yeah. So when you say that, you basically mean that you have to have like two hand traps in any given hand to really make a huge impact on the opponent, right? Yeah, it's either hand trap plus interruption or a double hand trap. Yes, I would agree. And so if you are playing against, let's say, Phantom Knight, because that's the biggest deck in everyone's mind, even though that deck right now is currently like kind of bumping out of favor, you'll still see it in the top cut, but it's kind of like Drytron last format where you saw like one or two of them, um, like even before like Protoss, where like you saw maybe like three or four of them. And then with Protoss, you saw like one or two. It's kind of the same thing with Phantom Knight right now. Like you might see like anywhere from one to four at an event. Um, because the deck itself, a lot of people actually like getting away from it because it has a little bit of a bricky issue um, that a lot of people are saying. But with Lancia, it's kind of like a blanket effect throughout the turn. And the biggest problem with that is that more of the Phantom Knight decks are starting to play a lot of extenders. And then the other thing is if they hard open their right, they can still dag to scythe and negate on board. Right. And so the other big problem about that too is that if they're playing so many extenders, I've always said this to everyone that I've coached, that I've had watch my streams, that watch my videos. The biggest thing that you have to keep in the back of your mind when you're looking at a game of Yu-Gi-Oh is that one negation and one interruption usually is enough to make somebody not be able to A, go full combo, or B, be able to even play their turn. Um, and this is why Dragon... So Dragon's actually viewed right now as the best deck of the format. Like, unofficially, but officially, um, it's viewed as the best. And a lot of players have just been able to get away with just going Seals Pass. And what's so cool about that, though, is that, like, even a deck like that has the ability to play certain hand traps that other decks cannot. So when you look at certain hand traps in the format and you're trying to figure out like what's the best one and which ones are going to be the most impactful, like for the past three months on my channel, I've been preaching Ghost Ogre is going to be insane when the Brave cards come out. And now everyone's main decking Ogre. Um, and the read on that is always trying to figure out how generic the hand trap is and how good it'll be in the format. Because like back when a lot of people were playing Token Collector, especially last format, I wasn't playing Token Collector at all. Because I think that's just very one track and it's just very not generic. Um, same thing with Cycle Reader when Drytron was a big deal. Um, I relied more heavily on Bell and Meister versus the Cycle Reader because stopping the Medionis coming back from the graveyard was much more impactful than trying to banish the Benton. Right. Um, and so what I'm getting at with Lancia is that like... Although, yes, it's impactful and they can't get the banishes off, but A, it's not as generic. Even though it kind of hits some other decks like Flu or like VW, it like kind of hits those. But at the same time, there's better hand traps out there right now that just specifically get to the point. Um, so what I mean by that, though, is like Dragon, for example, can play Gamma. I think that Gamma is overall the best hand trap in the game of Yu-Gi-Oh. It's just a matter of how many decks can actually run it. And that's quite literally VW and Dragon. Uh, because you need to have cards in your deck that actually mean something to activate in the form of a spell for you to be able to run Gamma. Because once you get monsters on the board, most decks just can't use Gamma anymore. And it's just kind of dead. Um, the other thing, too, is that when you played in Dragon... Um, this is the only deck that I actually think that Lancey is okay because it serves a double purpose. 
Uh, so in this deck, uh, shoutouts to Sam Wynn for this one, because if you gamma your opponent in Dragon and you're under Lancia, you can keep the gamma driver on your board and then immediately go Chaotic Ruler the next turn. So what's what's cool with that, though, is that you have the option to get the read on your deck. So like if you're playing Dragon, for example, and you're trying to figure out what hand traps do I play in this deck alone, you have to realize that you have the ability to mill lights and darks with Chaotic Ruler and add that to your hand. So specifically, you have cards like Lancia, you have Crow, Valor. Um, you wouldn't really add Gamma because that's just not really relevant past your board being set up. But Phantasme, Nibiru, there's certain, uh, certain cards that you can just play in that deck that just allow you to go. But if you're looking at like a more generic in the format, and you're like, hey, you know, like what hand trap do we need to play to be successful in this format? If you're looking at a card like Ogre, and this is one that I've been preaching for so long because the card is so good at what it does. So you have the ability to not only stop the Griffin from returning to the deck to negate, you can also stop like the Fateful early on if you want to go with that option. Um, but looking outside of that, you have decks like Flow and Ares that are just randomly like kind of okay right now because of the new spell. And you can hit like their field spell, which is super detrimental. Um, Dragon really focuses on using their boot sector to get cards out of their hand, hitting the boot sector even. Um, we've been seeing a lot of DDD and being able to hit their dark contract with gate. Um, that's really strong. Uh, there's other cards right now in the format where you really want them to get like Meister because we've seen that before be really strong. But even right now, it's just not that impactful because yes, you have decks like Elich where you can like stop their traps in the grave. Um, if they go normal summon and prank kids and get rid of it, if they don't have the Griffin, then you can Meister that as well. But you just have, have to look for like the more impactful ones, right? Like Ash can hit the Enchantress and it can hit anything in the format, essentially. Um, Nibiru paired with another hand trap is still OTK against most decks. Um, you look at even, even Bell right now. Bell is pretty okay. I side Bell though, because you have to think about, again, the how generic it is. And I think that it's almost generic enough but keeping it in the side means that you can stop things like the Invoke Shadal matchup, the Prank Kid matchup. Um, against Phantom Knight, a lot of people don't know this, but when Torn Skills try to revive itself from the graveyard, if you Bell that or Crow that, they can't extend. Like, unless their hand's insane, like, they end very minimally. Uh, so it's really a matter of reading the format and knowing which ones are the most impactful at the time. Yeah, that's a great answer. Oh, yeah. um, just out of curiosity, what makes you say that specifically Dragon is currently the best deck? So I feel like Dragon's the best deck because A, the utility slots. Um, that's always one of the biggest things for me is how many util uh, utility slots can a deck play? Um, the other thing too is that having the ability to have such good recursion and they also got so many new weapons from the new set in their deck. Uh, they got the Dark Charmer right now. And they also got the zombie vampire. And if you have the chaotic ruling vampire in one turn, then you're allowed to mill nine cards. And then if you revive a monster from your opponent's graveyard, it immediately becomes an eight and you can exceed for another one as well. Uh, which there's so many options that just dragon has to play right now. It's actually insane. And in my opinion, probably the second or the third best deck right now is going to be brave prank kid and dragon beats that matchup every time. Because having cards like Seals Tidying, those cards immediately are able to get rid of the normal summon. And then also just having the ability to main deck cards like Gamma. Any deck that can main deck Gamma, I immediately respect. 
Uh, it, it's one of those things where it's just such an underrated and good card. Being able to resolve things like Chaos Base and then watching an Ash fall and then you Gamma it and go immediately to Chaotic Ruler. There's not a game that you should be losing when you Gamma and just summon a Chaotic Ruler on your own turn because of it. And curiosity it i have to ask um so this is because i'm playing the deck right now and uh it it just piques my curiosity because i am currently main decking gamma but i'm playing uh the hauke fibrax sword soul 10 deck um cannot afford the brave package currently but uh so how would you feel about running gamma and something like that it really depends. I don't know if I would love that because so like Sword Soul itself, it has a lot of cool options in it and you can definitely run a few hand traps. But at the same time, it's really a matter of what are you resolving as in the form of at least a spell card. The only deck that I feel like gets away with it is Virtual World uh, because they have to like activate two chain and then like target one from their hand with the monster. So like Gamma's right. fine. Um, yeah. Whereas in Sword Soul, you don't really have the option to resolve Gamma if you don't have anything that impactful to resolve, if that makes sense. Because the only right. thing that you're going for too, and like any of the Brave decks, they have the ability to Gamma off of Banishing the Enchantress, which is always good too. Um, but the other decks that specifically, you just know that most of the time you're going to have the ability to Gamma would be like your Virtual Worlds and your Dragons. Yeah. So the only, the two things or the three things that the deck has going for it for Gamma are um, the Tenyes are activated effects in the hand and Sword Soul Emergence being a spell that would, they would activate, they would negate with like Ash or something. But regardless, um, like when you compare it with something like Dragon Link, which can do like a ton of stuff before it even puts a monster on board, it's a bit different. I realize that. But... Also main decking Lancia, so you end up you can end up in the same situation where you can perform a synchro summon immediately going into your turn, and with the deck revolving so much around the synchro summon eights, and also running three Etelli and two Ghost Ogre with it, you can Etelli out the Gamma with Yazi on board to Dark Chaofang. Yeah, it's it's not like bad if you're afraid of Lancia. Um, Lancia is definitely a card that against Sword Soul alone, it's pretty decent against. Um, whereas against like Phantom Knight, I'm not like super impressed with the results of Lancia. Um, I just feel like you have better utility cards available to you because like Gamma's cool. Um, I wouldn't really be too concerned about like an Ash on an Emergence because that just feels like the Ash is almost wasted, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I agree. You, you just like you want to ash way more important things like if i was playing in sword soul i probably wouldn't care about an emergence and i would probably hit like a uh like an ashuna um so it, it really depends on where the deck's going or if, especially if you're going like hulk roradon plays like i'm definitely just holding the ash uh and it really depends on like where your hand goes and if you're able to set up like a barone before you actually go into those lines of play um so having a gamma like although it would be cool i feel like you want to play the hand traps that are going to shut down your opponent more so because a lot of the plays and the hands that you draw in sword soul have the ability to go off with very minimal cards available to you so if you open up like double hand trap mo Yi, emergence and something else like you still have that mo Yi play being able to go off 
Um, whereas if your opponent tries to play, like we were talking about before, double hand traps just like ends a deck for the most part right now. So if you open up like that Ash Ogre, or if you open up like Ash Imperm, or like Imperm Nibiru, any combination of the two, a lot of times, even if they stop you and they try to play, you're still stopping them with those cards. And if you were to dead draw a Gamma the next turn, you'd literally just not be able to play the game. So I, I would just rather play the hand traps that matter to shut down your opponent and then focus more on your combos minimally than just trying to go all out with the cards of Gamma. Definitely. I had to ask though, since I'm playing the deck. That's fair. Um, so I also want to ask you a little bit about when you're making these side decking choices about, you know, evaluating what is and is not the best deck and preparing a side deck for that. How do you go about evaluating what is the best deck? I guess you, like you said, you look at what has the most utility spots and things like that, but is there anything else that you factor into what is and is not the best deck, uh, especially regarding, uh, how it impacts your preparation for a certain tournament. It really depends on what the meta is looking like, because back when we saw cards like Protoss in the game, even though Dragon is so good, and then we hit those types of cards, you have to look at the representation of those cards. So Sword Soul was undisputed one of the most popular decks by far. And the ability to play Dragon and run into one of those immediately knocks dragon down a tier in my head because i'm like i don't want to get protest all day uh or what have you you know because there's just so many situations where you can run into and just auto lose because of it and it's hyper searchable and a lot of people started manning it at some point and you have to start figuring out like okay what's the most represented deck and then you have to realize uh like i was saying earlier with drytron when you expected like three or four at the old tournaments that you have to think about like okay if i played against this deck at this tournament how many times am I actually going to be able to see it? You know, because that's always like one of the biggest questions you have to ask yourself. And so when I'm always thinking about that too, I'm like, okay, so there is about three or four dry time. I'm going to have to verse. I'm going to have to play against like three or four tri list. Just referring to the last format because we haven't had a real term in this format yet. Um, and let's say that I had to play against like, I would say two to three rogue decks, right? <laughs> This is where in my head, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to be making my side deck. I don't want to lose to the top tables to the like the quote unquote better decks um, because at the beginning of an event, you have to just realize you're going to play against some rogue, um, especially at like a YCS. The first like four to five rounds me a lot of rogue. So this is where you have to have a very generic choice for your side deck, but also some heavier hitting cards for the later rounds. So if I'm like more of a going first deck, then especially this format, I'm like, okay, I'm going to need some shared rides because if they banish like the Enchantress, then I immediately can just flip shared ride. And if they don't have the Ash, then at that point, like they're just not going to be able to play the game because they're going to have to decide if they want to give me a plus one or an Omni Negate. Uh, and also with that too, you have to decide if you value more of a shared ride than a droll. Like if the deck can just outright kill through a shared ride, then you want to droll them. If it's more of a situation where you just don't want them to gain tempo, that's where shared rides are better. And so another thing too, you have to keep in the back of your mind is what kind of decks are in the not combo category. Because if you see decks like Eldritch, you don't want to randomly lose to cards like Skill Drain. So if I'm looking at my side deck right now, I'm playing three Cosmics and one Twin. The reason I'm playing more Cosmics than Twin is because 
when it comes down to it, heavenly prison is an issue. And if you're siding in twins, you're siding in dusters or storms, you have to realize that these cards are going to end up being completely dead if they have the heavenly prison. And you just want to avoid that at all costs. So I typically go for the cards that more of a one for one trade than the bigger blowout cards. Definitely. So we're going to take just a quick moment to do an ad read. Uh, so we, of course, want to thank our sponsor, ETB Games. ETB Games is our locals. They are our locals here in Louisiana. And if you are interested, they're a wonderful place to find all of your card game needs. You can, of course, find everything for Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, Digimon, and whatever other card game you might be playing. You can find sleeves, deck boxes, binders, play mats, mat tubes, whatever you're looking for, as well as everything for tabletop games, such as D&D, Pathfinder, things of that sort. They got books, they got, uh, <clears throat> they got, uh, figurines, fi they got minifigs, they got paint, they even got rooms in the back that you can like, that you can like, uh, just for your tabletop games. Yep, that you can go in and play your little tabletop. So... Be sure to check them out. Their link is in the description down below. Now, let's go ahead and get on back into the interview. So, the next question to ask is, I know that a lot of players struggle when it comes to side decking, um, specifically with a combo deck. So, a great example of this is, let's just say Drytron, for example, back about three or four months ago when it was playing uh multiple eva like two eva and you're still running you know it's just already a combo heavy deck or even right now like current like pk builds you know you're running just tons of gas tons of extenders and it's a deck that's not really running like 15 hand traps necessarily so it makes it a little bit more difficult to hand to side deck effectively for certain matchups. You know, it, it makes it harder to say, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm going to pull out this hand trap, this hand trap, and this hand trap, and put in this one, this one, and this one, or I'm going to pull out this, this, and this to put in this, this, and this for each matchup. Um, so how do you balance when you're talking about side decking for in a combo deck? How do you balance what to pull out versus what to pull in, whether you're pulling out one or two extenders or one or two starters or one or two defensive pieces to put in two or three or four defensive pieces going first versus going second. I know there's a lot to unpack there, but it, it's something that's not really talked about necessarily specifically for combo. So this is something that I break down in my own head and I have my own ratios for. Um, this, this is something where when you're playing in general, you have to keep in mind that you don't want to trade out your consistency for prevention of your opponent. And it changes dramatically if you're going first or second. Um, when you're going first, you have a lot more room because let's say that you have even like if you're playing like a combo deck, you sometimes you don't even see any of the like any hand traps at all. Maybe you're just playing three ash. Um, very typically you'll be playing like Ash Imperm, uh, just so you have some way to play if you get put going second. Right. But at the same time, you have to think about, okay, 
I'm going first. I'm playing a combo deck, and I have a ton of ways to play the game right now. I could put up a huge combo, um, but it really depends because now if you're going second, or if uh, if you're sorry, if you're in rounds two or uh, round three in the same match, you have to really keep in the back of your mind that your opponent is also sideboarding. So this is something that I talked about not too long ago with Lucas Johnson on my channel was that there is the biggest brain of siding is siding for what your opponent is siding. And this goes really in depth into those next two games in the set. And so when you're OK, when you're getting out of the first game, if you lost game one and you get the choice for first or second, and you're playing like the combo go first. What I would do if I have, because it really depends on like what the deck is and what the side is. Um, you have to consider cards like Shared Ride, cards like um, a point over the Red Lotus, cards like Gozen Match. Let's say if you can run that. If I was playing like Dragon, I'd probably be running Gozen my side. Um, these are cards that I put in as insurance. So if for whatever reason, I go like full combo and then my opponent's going to be siding in like Dark Ruler or Droplet. If my board gets cracked because of it, I have cards like Shared Ride that really put the pressure back on my opponent to tell them like, hey, I have this board and you're going to make me draw a lot of cards to break it. Um, especially because cards like Shared Ride means that they're getting rid of a ton of cards out of their hand just to stop my board. So cards like Hand Traps are going to be gone because they don't need those in their hand to try to break the board. They're just expecting the cards like Droplet are going to help them to do that. And while you're comboing, you're going to eat a couple Hand Traps like that too. So cards like Shared Ride are almost always guaranteed to go off. And then you have cards like Gozen and cards like A Pointer that goes in can get flipped at that point and a lot of decks even like striker can't really play the game that well because ray can't go in any of the links um and then you also have the ability to flip like a pointer and be able to take out the uh the kaijus or the dark rulers if you won game one and you know that your combo deck and you're gonna be put going second um this is where you're considering putting in like your drolls or your nabirus um you don't really want to put in too many cards that are going to hurt your consistency because when you're going first you actually have the ability to take out a copy of a hand trap which is really cool um so if, if you're playing like your three ash your three imperm i'd cut it down to two ash two imperm because if you're going first you don't want to see a hand trap like it's cool if you draw like one of them but if you draw like double hand trap it's not going to be that ideal and you're not getting those extenders in your hand that you want the combo with uh which can really hurt you so if i'm going second the cards that i'm cutting out of my list are going to be cards like prosperity i'll cut like one of them um because i don't want to see like you want to knock out as much variance as possible because when you're going into the next game and you lost the first one especially or even if you're just at an even keel game three you really just want to make sure that you don't see as many options to break as possible. So again, cutting out like a copy of Prosperity. Um, if I'm playing Dragon, um, it really depends. I might even cut like a copy of like Tidying because I'm going second. I don't want to see multiple traps in my hand. Um, if you're going second and you're playing a combo deck and you have DP in it, you'll probably cut the DP package. 
because these you just don't want to see any way to break in your next hand because this is going to be one of the most important hands that you draw. Uh, so when it comes to siding, you just have to keep all of that in mind and make sure that if you're siding out hand traps um, for hand traps, that's the best way to do it. If you're putting hand traps in where your combo pieces are, you run the risk of bricking really hard. So typically, if I'm ever putting those in, unless the cards in my main deck are actually just dead, I'm only siding in hand traps for hand traps. And my number to side in is always six. Anything over six, you're risking seeing too many sideboard cards. Anything under six, you're seeing too less. But you also have to count for if your hand traps that are in your main deck are already really strong against the matchup that you're playing against. So like for a long time, my main deck hand traps were like Ash, Imperm, um, what was the other one? Nibiru. And so these are cards against even Sword Soul, especially last format, that were just gas. Like they were just really good. So I would typically only side in like maybe three cards that I thought would be impactful against that matchup because my main deck already accounted for it. So just kind of keep all that in mind when it comes to siding for a matchup. I got you. So do you ever... When you're building your side deck, do you ever target specific matchups? I try to, but keeping other matchups in mind. Because if your sideboard hits too generic for one matchup, you never want to get to an event like a YCS or regional and just say, I have nothing to side against you. Because that is the worst tell like that you probably lose that next game which is unfortunate because sometimes against those matchups where you have nothing to side sometimes you also have dead cards in your main deck against it and you really have to keep that to a point where you will go into so like the best way that i prep is i write down every deck in the current meta and like probably the top eight in like the rogue category and i'll say like okay these are the decks that I'm playing against. And then I'll look at my sideboard and then I'll look at the matchup and say, okay, what cards are good against this matchup? And then figure out which ones on my side overlap. And then I'll make sure that they're impactful against these matchups. And if they're not, then I'll try to find a better card that does complement multiple matches while also being impactful. I never want to just put cards on my sideboard just to be like, well, I hate playing against this deck. I'm going to put that in there because that doesn't help you out against the other matchups. Like I was talking about earlier with like Cycle Reader. Gotcha. So is there anything else that you would like to add to this conversation separately from just the questions we've been asking? It really just comes down to if you're ever really confused about like what kind of hand traps you should be playing, just to really sit down and objectively think about the choke points in a deck that could be really impactful. And if you know anyone that plays a deck specifically, you should really just hit them up and just ask them and be like, you know, hey, if I was playing this hand trap, realistically, where would it stop you? Definitely. It's not a bad option at all. I think that knowing the matchups and knowing what's going on with that deck is every bit or more important than knowing which hand traps are effective it's every bit as important right so um i think that my last question personally going into this is how do you determine where to hand trap is there is there anything i think that every deck has a certain point where it's a better spot to hand trap but is there any is there anything that you particularly look at 
any tells or reads or any way to potentially make a read that oh well wait you know this is actually a much better place to hand trap than uh then and hope to hit it somewhere a little further along in the combo you know so I, I guess the question would be you know how do you decide where is there any way that you can tell to make a read on whether or not your opponent has the extension whether you should hand trap early or late or whatever so there's two different categories of how this conversation could go there's one where it says do you objectively know the hand trap choke points before you play that match and then what happens when you play against a deck that you have no idea what it does? Um, and I've been in both those situations many a time. The one I'll start with in that conversation is what do you do when you're playing against something you have no idea what it does? The number one thing you have to realize about most decks out there is they have some kind of primary searcher. They have some kind of spell card in the deck that enables the deck to somewhat extend or somewhat go. They have some monster in the deck, typically in like a mid-range or combo deck, that will allow them to special summon it. And they have some kind of extra monster that will be relating to the deck. And potentially they have a card in their deck that also will allow them to have some form of negation. Now, all of this in mind, you also have to think about the fact that they're going to be playing generic cards that we're all very familiar with. Things like Access Code, things like Appalooza, um, maybe the Nightmare Package. So you kind of have to make the read at what they're trying to do. And this really comes down to really reading all the cards that they're putting on the board and kind of making as many assumptions about their deck as possible. So if I ever see like a card that hits the board that may not do anything now, but the card that it searches... Um, once you get searched, you're reading that and you're like, okay, this thing's going to be doing X thing. Uh, you have to realize that your hand traps are only going to be really impactful at certain points. Um, and once they're able to put up a negation, that a lot of your opportunities are going to be going away pretty fast. So that's why, if, let's say, for example, you never played against Adam Ansipator or Print Kids. Um, this is really important, particularly because you'll see like a Print Kid hit the board. And they'll say like, okay, this is fine. Like they'll summon a monster. They'll do doodle do. They'll summon out another one. They'll get another monster on the board. They have three monsters. Now, this is typically where you just want to rock. Because if you ever see three monsters on the board and one's a link two, your only assumption if they're going first is that they're about to drop an Appalooza. So you really just have to figure out like what are the most important points and what are the most common cards that they could summon? Because when it comes to the monsters on the board, yes, some of them have like the effect to negate like a gear freed or something. But at the same time, you also have to think about like, okay, if they're gonna be summoning something from the extra deck and they're playing a deck that you don't really know, you have to think more generic with what they could summon. And my mind always just goes to Appalooza in those situations, especially. So you kind of have to make the read and know generically what cards are in the format. Uh, other than that, it really just comes down to this card searching. Do I think that the search is impactful um, as far as that kind of a hand trap? But when it comes to just kind of knowing your matchup and really having that knowledge prior to the game that you're playing for hand trapping, like 
kind of deciding what's more important that honestly just comes from hours of practice like there's there's nothing more that i can say than just practice practice and watching other people play the deck and seeing other people's interactions because there will be common interactions that come up and that's why we have linear lines of play in a lot of combo decks that's because most people catch on to a combo and that just becomes like the be all end all combo um now there are off routes that they can take and you can make those reads as you go because you base it off of like the first couple combos that you saw uh so like when it comes to for example fan night when i started playing against the deck a ton if they get that reborn of the torn scale that one's super crucial and if you bell meister crow negate it um, a lot of times they just can't come back from that and that's something that i only know because of just hours of playing against the deck and playing the deck myself um right. the other thing would be like even back when drytron was really big and a lot of people were doing the cycle reader or what have you just trying to look like, stop the deck from going crazy and then i just kind of looked at the matchup and i was watching with but i'm out of their rotation it, it it's brutal way more brutal than a lot of people realize so um but no yeah that's a wonderful answer um i very a very sufficient sufficient i can't talk uh, very succinct uh, succinct thank you yeah. had a brain fart they're very succinct answer i would say all right well i am out of questions caleb do you have any uh no you, uh, yeah no we pretty much got everything I was going I wanted to ask yeah <laughs> uh Gary do you have any questions for us uh you know I just want to say thanks for having me when it when it comes to Yu Gi Oh in theory and really breaking down the game for others uh the one thing that I've always wanted to see was the better improvement of everyone and just really being able to give the people that need the help the help that they really are looking for. Um, because sometimes it feels like you're jumping through hoops to try to figure out like what's the best deck or like where to stop things or what's the correct ratios or what have you. And it, it's really important for me to have the channel that I have and really being able to put that information out for anyone who's trying to be more competitive because I really wish that was there for me. Well, I mean, hey, that's why we wanted to have you here because realistically, I have watched your channel. I have watched your Twitch streams and I think that you're very genuinely a good player who wants to help other people improve and be good players and that cannot be understated so um thank you so 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 much for joining us especially on short notice this all happened like today so uh <laughs> thank you for coming on and why don't we do a podcast question of the day we'll read off some answers that we got on our twitch and in our discord server and we have a new podcast question today coming in for today so the previous podcast question of the day was what cards would you like to see get reprinted in the upcoming speed duel gx duel academy box so we got a lot of well uh what's the word i'm looking for um well liked we cards yeah, we got we got a lot of cards that I don't know. I guess kind of expected. Prosperity. Um, well, I was we didn't really actually get that many modern cards because realistically in the GX box, 
I think a lot of people were more expecting a lot of older cards. Yeah, yeah. primarily the dual academy era cards. And I think that some sometimes some things are lost. Like a lot of people don't realize like cosmic is a is a card in speed duel. Like they're not afraid to put newer cards in these sets. Yeah. So uh you say prosperity, and I guess a lot of people would write that off, but it's not it's not outside of the realm of possibility that yeah. they put it somewhere like that. It's not out of the question, but it's unlikely. Yeah. See, the only reason I say that though is because there's never a bad time for a reprint, right? <laughs> Right, cut on real. <laughs> the we only got, okay. We actually only got one reply on our Twitter, which is uncommon. Normally, we yeah. get at least a couple dozen. Yeah. Uh, but horse level eight, that would actually be kind of a cool reprint. Not gonna lie to you, I, I always loved the horse cards. I always thought they were cool. Um, we got a lot more replies in our Discord server. Uh, so we had first reply was DPE as a common would be nice. I don't see it happening. One, they're not done selling it, and two. I don't think that that necessarily. I guess I, Destiny Hero cards do kind of go with the theme a little bit, especially re- knowing that yeah. Dasher is going to be there. Oh yeah, they, it, they really do. But if if, the, if it does get reprinted in the box, it's going to be like an ultra. It would probably be one of the secrets, honestly. Uh, well, that way it's not guaranteed. Fair enough, but I, the secrets are the only ones that aren't guaranteed. Yeah, but like, yeah, that is fair. But I think that yeah that. Like that's the big reason why I think they would do a secret, but the biggest reason why I think they wouldn't is because it already has a secret printing. Yeah, and this but is the, also so did forbidden. So did forbidden droplet, and that yeah. went from secret to secret. So. Yeah, but then also this is a different. Uh, I just don't think they would put such a strong card in speed duel. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say because it's also like a different game altogether with yeah. speed duel. So I don't even think they would put something like that in speed duel. Yeah, it would be outrageous. Oh, um, it is speed duel. That's my bad. Never mind. Prosperity. Nope. <laughs> Oh wait, what? Huh? I said if that's a speed duel, never mind prosperity. Yeah, yeah. I don't think <laughs> prosperity would even work in speed duel because. No. Yeah, I think they only have seven extra deck slots. Yeah, so that would be three or all but one. Yeah. Over almost half and all but one. Yeah. Um, secret or cyber dragon cards? Actually, I'd be down for that. Secret or cyber dragon stuff would be cool. Oh yeah, I used to have a secret rare like OG art uh cyber dragon. Oh, it was so nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some Neos Fusion monster rarity upgrades would be cool. Yep, I agree. Um, secret grand mold that would actually. Oh, that'd be cool. That would be cool. Uh, secret or ulti limiter removal. CR Mystic Mine. Listen. Listen, stop it. <laughs> Get help. But no, I um honestly I would like to see some older cards. I, I would like to see Metamorphosis get a reprint. That card hasn't mm-hmm. had a reprint in forever. Yeah. So, but I don't think we'll see that until we see like designated like uh, uh, Time Wizard format products. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like that Time Wizard capsule th- idea that I had. Yeah, something like that. Um Gary, do you have any cards that you would think would be a great fit right here? I know you've mentioned Prosperity a couple of times. Yeah, that one that one's just actually just not happening, but I thought it was funny. Um when it comes to like the uh the reprints out there, I don't really have too many cards except for like I really wish that they would just print the cards that we don't have that were revealed in GX. Not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um like cards that wouldn't even do anything in the tcg right now like the even like the doll cards that were in the one episode um just like putting those into the tcg and just letting people just like have them right 
because like even if you look at like five Ds, for example, there's a ton of cards in that show that just never got to um, the TCG. And that honestly, as a player, it just makes me really upset. So I hope that they use sets like these to actually like put them in the game. I'll just say it once. I'll, I've said it a million times. I'll continue to say it. Um, Gate Guardian support when Konami. Yeah, seriously. So um, that, that's my one like really. I'm a very competitive player, but that's my one thing that competitive or not, I would play the heck out of that deck. So I love Gate Guardian. Anyway. Uh, today's podcast question of the day is, do you prefer to play the game more casually or more competitively? I am a more competitive player. I acknowledge that, but I know not everybody is. Caleb, how do you think? Uh, it really depends on, it really depends on the day. Um, casual is the answer for you then. Got it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but like if it's on a weekend, I'm, I'm definitely in a more, uh, competitive mood, but usually it's the weekdays. I'm a little more, eh. Fair enough. I just want to play my sweet treat middle J's. Casual, got it. Yeah. Gary, what's up with you? Comp. <laughs> like always comp. I don't know. It's always on my mind. I love comp. Um, it's always funny to me because I've been playing striker now for the past like three years, right? And every single time I go to an event, like even if it's like more casual when I go and I'm playing striker and I play against like zombies. I kind of feel bad, but at the same time, I was like, man, I just like playing striker cards. Like, you know, it's just a good time. So I decided at locals that I was going to play Plunder. Um, That's a Plunder. I would not play this the bird deck. Thank Uh, you. We are making (laughs) friends. Yeah, I I would not play the bird deck. I'd rather play the pirate deck. So I I pulled up with Plunder and everyone's like, oh, so you're playing a casual deck today. I was like, "Uh, something like that. And then I had the Brave Engine in it, and then I just like tore up the local, and I was like, "Yeah, like we're we're still confident when we're casual." That's like a giant Skyhawk rolling up to locals with Fluffle, and they're like, "Oh, you're playing a casual deck, to, you know?" And then Flu- he just does Fluffle is that deck's a lot better than people give it credit for. Oh yeah, yeah, that's neat. I love how like the scythe and the hand can just activate and summon the whale. It's kind of wild. I didn't even know it did that one time, and then it caught me off guard, and it, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, that that deck is actually nuts, and it is so incredibly difficult to play. I have the deck built, and I'm like, I can't. It's like DDD, dude. It's like I don't have the computing power up up in my brain to play this deck it's ridiculous any deck that's got like a million cards that search other cards it's like brain paralysis so but i'm rambling so that's it for the podcast everybody thank you all so 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 much for joining us again if you want to find us you can find us on twitter you can find us in the discord all of those wonderful places the links are in the description down below there is our tcg player affiliate link our patreon link our there was something else i want to oh etb games their link is in the description down below as well as team dark arm dealings they are a sister youtube channel from locals so be sure to check them out in the description down below and of course be sure to check out gary his he goes by ggygo everywhere uh it is great great competitive content you should absolutely watch basically every video on his channel if you are looking to be a more competitive player or even if you just want to get a little bit better in general at the game like i said basically you could watch almost any video on the channel and come away from it a better player so 
be sure to go there. Be sure to subscribe. He is, I believe you're really, really, really close to 10,000 subscribers, right? Yeah, 164. All right. So if everybody that listens to this goes and subscribes, he'll be well over that mark. So let's do it. Let's get him there. So (laughs) thank you so much for joining us here, Gary. We hope that everything continues to go well for you. Hey, I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's, it's been quite the time on YouTube. And again, just being able to network and meet new people has been everything I've ever wanted. So appreciate it. Awesome. No problem. And until next time, have a good one, everybody. Take care, everyone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.